Hello and welcome to the Buffy and the Art of Story podcast. Today we're talking about Season 5, Episode 13, Blood Ties, where Dawn is devastated to learn that she is the key and Buffy comes face to face with Glory. Along with the episode recap of Blood Ties, I'll talk about why the story remains fast and gripping, despite that Buffy and Glory don't come face to face until the very end, how Dawn's arc of learning the truth illustrates the perfect way to weave in subplot points and turns with the main story, story questions that keep viewers tuning in, even after other major questions like when will Dawn learn she's the key are answered, and what I am most in awe of, how Blood Ties tells a full and compelling story, includes emotional subplots, and sets up the next episode and the rest of the season arc without feeling too complicated or busy. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist, story coach, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. And there will be no spoilers in this episode except at the end when I'll talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the hellmouth. Blood Ties aired the first time on February 6, 2001. It was directed by Michael Gershman and written by Stephen S. Tonight. Nearly all stories of any type start with some sort of opening conflict. It can be a minor conflict, and here it seems like it is because the friends discuss whether to have a small birthday party for Buffy, but it quickly moves to the main plot conflict with Glory. At the Magic Box, Buffy tells the others that Joyce wants everyone to gather that night at the house. Now, this minor conflict throughout this scene will also reveal exposition, as Buffy doesn't like the idea of a gathering because she is worried about glory and thinks that should be the focus. But Willow, who tries to lighten the mood throughout, tells Buffy it's exactly what she needs, a 20th birthday party with presents and hats and streamers. So now we know not only is it Buffy's birthday and there is a looming threat on the horizon, but it's her 20th birthday. Xander starts talking about the fact that they're going up against a god. Buffy says she's thrown everything she has at Glory and it's done nothing. And Willow, still trying to lighten things up, says they need to throw something heavier. But Giles tells her that might be a problem. From everything the Watchers found out about Glory and the two other hell gods, they ruled over quote, one of the more seriously unpleasant demon dimensions, end quote. And Tara says there's more than one. Anya explains there are thousands of demon dimensions. Giles agrees and says they are all pushing against our dimension, trying to find a way in. Buffy questions why Glory can't do godlike things like throw lightning bolts, and Giles says her human form must be limiting her power. He also says being in this world has affected Glory mentally. She manages only by extracting energy from human brains. That's why the increase in the mentally unstable in Sunnydale and Tara looking extremely disturbed says she she's a brain sucker and she goes on that at least vampires only kill you. Willow chimes in that she and Tara will look for a spell which sets up the climax where they do deliver on that. Xander asks what about the key won't knowing exactly what Glory is after help? Buffy tries to tell them they shouldn't worry about that right now, but the others keep pressing. Willow points out that whatever Glory's trying to open with a key, it won't be filled with candy and flowers. Buffy finally admits that she and Giles know where the key is, and the others are really upset that they haven't shared that information. She says it's too risky. If Glory knew what they knew, she didn't want to put them in that kind of danger. And Xander says, as opposed to the other kind we're always in, Buffy takes a breath and says, 
you're right. And she looks at Giles and says, it's time. Giles asks if she's sure. And at three minutes, 25 seconds in, Buffy tells the others, there's something that you need to know about Dawn. And then the scene cuts. This is such a powerful way to do this because we don't see Buffy telling the others what we as the audience already know. And that is one of the reasons this is so strong. Remember in the last episode, Checkpoint, we had a couple instances where a character told another character something that had been said in a previous scene, not between those two, but it was something that we as the audience already knew. And that does slow down an episode a bit. So we avoid that here. And then also, it is so powerful because later, we will see how the others react to Dawn. And that tells us so much about their emotions, about how hard this is. And that is much stronger than seeing them react when Buffy tells them. Buffy's line also serves as a story spark or inciting incident for the episode. That is the event that gets the main plot rolling. Usually we see it 10% through any novel or film. In the Buffy episodes, it's been moving around a bit, partly because of season-long story arcs that the writers also are covering. So here it's a little bit early, but we will also have something important happen right at that 10% mark. The scene cuts to the Knights of Byzantium around a fire with their swords in their chainmail, and they are chanting, the key is the link, the link must be severed, such is the will of God. One of Glory's minions interrupts them with an axe. He says to them about their chant and their God, you really think he is going to help? I fear your faith is gravely misplaced. There's lots of fighting among knights and minions. It looks like the knights won, and a knight approaches the last minion who is now on the ground and says, shall we test your faith now? The knight thrusts his sword toward the heart, but the minion's faith is justified. Glory grabs the sword and stops it at 4 minutes 29 seconds in. A number of parallels are drawn in this episode between Buffy and Glory. I didn't notice this one until just this moment, but Glory stopping that sword echoes Buffy stopping Angel's sword at the end of season two with her bare hands. Glory fights the knights. It looks like she is ready to kill the last one, and the scene cuts to credits. This scene also is vital to the plot because this is the knight who ultimately will tell Dawn about her history as the key, or at least part of it. So I mentioned earlier about the story spark shifting around. We saw it rather late in Checkpoint, and that did throw off the momentum somewhat, although that is still a very compelling episode. But here we see how fast things move when you get that story spark early, and then you have another scene that ratchets up our tension. At 5 minutes 45 seconds in, we're back from credits. Willow and Tara pour sand in a circle around the magic box. Dawn arrives and Willow explains that it's an alarm. If Glory comes within 100 feet of the shop, it will screech. Tara goes on that they already put one around Summer's house, and she awkwardly adds that then they can hide the key. Dawn wants to help. Willow says Buffy would not be thrilled with the littlest Summers getting involved with the black arts, and Dawn, frustrated, heads inside the store. Tara says quietly to Willow, how can she not be real? And Willow says she's real, just kind of new. They both acted fairly naturally around Dawn, and inside the magic box, Xander jokes with her and seems very much at ease, but Anya turns away, dusting the shelves, clearly uncomfortable. Then she spins around after a few minutes and says to Dawn, you make a very pretty little girl. 
Xander tries to derail this, saying, you want to help me with that thing? And Anya awkwardly laughs and says, Xander needs help with his thing. Giles and Buffy emerge from the back room. And as they talk about training, Dawn notices Giles hiding his watcher's journal away somewhere below the counter. Buffy asks Dawn about school. Dawn tells her about an assignment where she has to write a letter to her future self. She wants Buffy to help, but Buffy has things to do right now, and Dawn asks if it's about, quote, that weird girl that came to the house, end quote, a reference to Checkpoint last week. And this is another parallel between Buffy and Glory, the girl reference, since Buffy is the one girl in all the world. And Buffy says, Glory, and no, it's not. And Dawn responds, like you'd tell me anyway, Dawn's too young and too delicate. Buffy agrees that Dawn's a young, delicate pain in her butt. Now Dawn directly compares Glory and Buffy by saying that Buffy's freaking out because she has to fight someone prettier than her. Buffy responds, Glory's evil and powerful and in no way prettier than me. Dawn tells Buffy Glory didn't look that tough to her. At 8 minutes 21 seconds, we cut to Glory torturing and questioning the only night she left alive. He says he'll die a thousand deaths before telling her anything. She circles him as he's hanging from the ceiling and says it's intimacy, isn't it? That's the problem. She brushes against him, tells him she knows the first time is hard, and if he won't tell her about the key, he still has something she needs. And she puts her hand on the knight's head on either side and sucks out his brain energy, just as Giles earlier explained that she could do. One of many examples of how this episode sows a tiny seed and it pays off. At 9 minutes 33 seconds in, Buffy sits in her living room surrounded by gifts. There are streamers and balloons and little twinkle lights. At 10 minutes 21 seconds in, Dawn gives Buffy her gift, a framed photo of the two of them at the beach on a day when they visited their dad. Dawn decorated it with shells she and Buffy found and Buffy says, I remember. Everyone falls silent as they glance at one another, very moved because they know that these are not real memories, but the ones the monks implanted. Dawn tells Buffy, don't get all, quote, movie of the week. I was just too cheap to buy you a real present, end quote. Buffy thanks Dawn, hugs her, and over Dawn's shoulder exchanges a look with Joyce. At 10 minutes 57 seconds in, Joyce Giles and Buffy talk in the kitchen about Glory. Buffy glances out and down the hall, sees Dawn in the dining room, and asks what she's doing. Dawn picks up a small stack of plastic plates and says she's just getting them for dessert. It's cake time. We've seen Dawn do this before, stand quietly and eavesdrop and this too sows a seed for later. Anya and Xander fall silent as Dawn sets the plates down in the living room. Tara and Willow are quiet too and Dawn wants to know why everyone's acting weird around her. At 11 minutes 40 seconds in, Buffy, Giles, and Joyce enter and Dawn complains about Xander and Anya talking about her. Xander claims it wasn't about Dawn. Anya tries to cover by saying it was about sex and then goes into a little too much detail about her and Xander's fantasy life. Buffy suggests they not talk about that now and Dawn has had it. She says, of course, can't let Dawn hear anything. Fine, I'm just going to go to bed. That way I won't accidentally get exposed to, like, words. And she storms upstairs. At 12 minutes, 14 seconds, Dawn slams the door to her room and climbs down the trellis and out of the house. This is the one-quarter twist, what I call the first major plot turn, because Quite often it comes 25% through any book or film. In television, it's anywhere from 25% to 33%, so it's closer to that here. 
But the key things are that it comes from outside the protagonist, spins the story in a new direction, and raises the stakes. So having this major turn here gives the story its momentum. In Blood Ties, Dawn leaving comes from outside of Buffy, and it takes the story in a completely different way and raises the stakes because Dawn is putting herself first in danger by going outside the house and then because of what she's going to learn. But this raises a question because I said it should come from outside the protagonist and who is the protagonist here. Before doing this podcast, I used to look at that more from a gut level approach or common sense approach, but listening to Lonnie Diane Rich on how story works helped me hone in on what does make a character a protagonist. And the protagonist should actively pursue a goal, be the main viewpoint character, and have the most at stake. In terms of actively pursuing a goal, Buffy definitely wins on that. Hers is to fight glory and protect Dawn. And she tells her friends in the beginning about Dawn as part of that fight and protecting everyone, including Dawn. Dawn doesn't have an active goal at the beginning of the episode or until now at that first major plot turn. As far as the viewpoint, Buffy and Dawn have been the viewpoint character roughly the same amount of time in the episode so far. We've gotten Glory as well, and it will continue to be split pretty evenly between Buffy and Dawn. And then we have the question of who has the most at stake. Now, Dawn's life is at stake, and she has a lot to lose emotionally. This has a huge impact on her. For Buffy, everyone's life is at stake, including Dawn's, and she also has a lot at stake emotionally. You could argue not as much as Dawn because Dawn has the question of who she is and is she real. Buffy, though, has this sacred duty to protect everyone and specifically to protect Dawn. This one probably leans a bit more towards Dawn. All the same, as a whole, I see Buffy as the protagonist because she is the one who is most active, not just in the first part of the episode, but throughout. Dawn is mainly reacting, even in choosing to go out the window and go to the magic shop and later to go to the hospital. It is mainly in reaction to what she is hearing and how she is feeling. However, Dawn does have a very strong subplot and it tracks the main plot pretty well. The story spark is the same, Buffy telling her friends and them then acting strangely around Dawn, which is what Dawn is now reacting to. Subplots don't always have all the major plot points and turns that a main plot does, but if they are there, they should happen in the same way order, though they are not necessarily divided up the same way. So in the main plot, your plot turns, the major one should come roughly a quarter, a half, another quarter, and then the end. So pretty equidistant from one another. In a subplot, that's not necessarily the case. Here, the major turn for Dawn probably is how strange everyone acts at the party, which drives her to sneak out out, but it is the midpoint that is key for any subplot, and we will see that shortly for Dawn. Right now, Dawn backs into Spike as she climbs off the trellis. He's holding a wrapped present. Dawn is frightened and angry at him for lurking. Spike responds, I wasn't lurking. I was standing about. It's a whole different vibe. Dawn folds her arms and asks, is he really giving Buffy a present that's weird and it's chocolates in a box that's all bent and Buffy would never touch anything from him anyway. Spike uses his low growly 
voice, but that doesn't intimidate Dawn, who giggles and says she's not afraid of him. She's tougher than him. She is going to go break into the magic box and steal things. Spike glances behind him at the very dark street and observes that there are a lot of beasties between here and the magic box. Dawn says, I can take care of myself. Then she glances around and says, you want to come steal some stuff? Spike shrugs and says, okay. At 14 minutes, 19 seconds in, Spike, with a little bit of struggle, picks the lock to the magic box, pointing out that usually he just breaks down doors. Inside, he asks Dawn what she wants to steal, jewels, artifacts, cash, and he's nonplussed when Dawn says, a book. She tells him about Giles taking notes in the journal. They look around with their flashlights in the darkened store, which creates a nice eerie and also intimate atmosphere. Dawn finds the journal and in the next scene sits with Spike to read it. They have candles lit all around them. She reads aloud and they talk about it. Spike is smoking and at some point puts a cigarette out in an urn, another seed for later that we don't necessarily even notice. Dawn reads a section about 12th century monks protecting the key, and Spike says, hey, troll hammer. He lifts it, but only gets it about half a foot off the floor before it is too heavy, and he slams it down and says, didn't go with my stuff anyway. Spike's antics and his humorous asides during the scene are a great way to keep the audience engaged when Dawn is doing something that's usually dull, which is having a character read from a book. Now she reads that the literature has no description of the key, but research shows its energy vibrating at a frequency beyond normal human perception. Only those outside reality can see its true nature. She asks Spike what that means, and he says, second sight blokes or, quote, just your run-of-the-mill lunatics, end quote. And as I've talked about before, the term Terms that are used for people who are dealing with mental illness or psychiatric problems are not ones that we use today. I don't know if that would be different if the episode were written now, though, because Spike is still a villain character, so he might say things that way. Dawn quickly flashes back to people telling her she's not real. Then she reads that serpent types can recognize the key, and we see quick flashbacks to the Sobek, snake-like demon's eyes lighting up when it saw her and it's screaming at her. She looks stunned and stops reading. Spike takes the book from her, and now he reads aloud, stumbling a bit on a word or two that the monks could transform energy, blah, blah, blah. And he says, quote, good Lord, Giles writes as dull as he talks, doesn't he? End quote. He goes on that the council suggested Glory interrupted the monks' work. The monks had to be sure the Slayer would protect the key with her life. So they, quote, sent the key to her in human form, in the form of a sister. Huh. I guess that's you, Niblet, end quote. Close up on Dawn's face, and we cut to a commercial. If you're enjoying the Buffy and the Art of Story podcast, please take a moment to leave a rating or review wherever you listen, or tell a friend about the podcast or the Buffy and the Art of Story books, or post on social media. It will help other listeners who love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and love creating stories or taking them apart to see how they work find the podcast as well. That was the major midpoint reversal for Dawn. So at the midpoint, in a very strong plot, we will see either the protagonist suffering a major reversal or making a major commitment to the quest, throwing caution to the wind, or both. And here, Dawn's subplot reversal is finding this out, which is devastating, and she will make a commitment after this. At 17 minutes, 37 seconds in, we're back in the Summers living room and Willow says 
something about not even a card, and we realize she's talking about Riley. Buffy tells Willow she didn't really expect it because he can't have civilian contact, and maybe there's a code for it. Buffy goes on, you know, like radio silence. It's greeting card silence. Buffy then suggests a new tradition, birthdays without boyfriends. Willow says, preaching to the choir here, baby. And then Tara, looking over their shoulders, says, oh my God. Buffy turns around and sees Dawn, who has just come downstairs. She has her arms held out, a knife in one hand, and blood is pouring down her lower arms. This is that commitment I mentioned. Dawn is committing to see if she is real or not. And Buffy says, what did you do? And she sounds angry in the way that parents do when they are frightened that their child has put themselves in danger. Dawn asks if this is blood because she's not a key or a thing. So can this be her or real? Joyce runs to her. Dawn says, what am I? Am I real? Am I anything? At 18 minutes, 38 seconds in, the friends leave hugging Buffy. Giles is last and asks if he should stay. And then we get a line that is always driven me crazy because Buffy tells him it's a family thing and she and Joyce should handle it. I don't like that line because this whole show is about found family. And we had an entire episode devoted to that called Family. I understand that it is something she feels she enjoys need to talk about with Dawn. And of course, it is to emphasize blood ties, that this blood relationship matters, and that will pay off at the end. I just wish they had found a different line to convey that. And it shows the challenge of writing stories that work within one episode in a much larger series and story arc. Buffy did that way better than almost any show that came before, probably any show. Upstairs, Joyce and Buffy in Dawn's room try to reassure her. Dawn asks why they never told her. Joyce says she thought it was better to wait until Dawn was older, which prompts Dawn to ask her age. And Joyce says Dawn knows that she's 14, but Dawn wants to know when the monks created her, and Buffy tells her six months ago. Dawn is shocked. She's only been alive six months. And Joyce says, you've been alive a lot longer than that to us. And they try to tell her they know how she feels, which is almost always a bad idea to say to someone who's upset, but especially here because they can't know how Dawn feels. But Buffy tells Dawn she knows that her sister is hurting herself and that worries her. Dawn says, how does she know it's happening? Maybe it's just another fake memory from her fake family. She also tells Buffy that she's worried only because Dawn is the key and Buffy has to protect the key as a mission, not because Dawn is her sister. And Dawn yells at them to get out, get out, get out. That is a classic Dawn line where she is shrieking at them. And this definitely fits how Dawn has been directed throughout the series, and I still wonder why she is presented this way, because I have a ton of sympathy for Dawn at this point, but here, and there's another moment later, it's still hard to listen to her. It reminds me a little bit of whichever of the Harry Potter books there was when Harry was just petulant and angry and pushing back at everyone who tried to help him, and it was just hard to read. It felt authentic to the age he was at and where he was emotionally, but I didn't want to live without the whole book, and a lot of times that is how Dawn feels to me. At 20 minutes, 36 seconds in, we're back at the magic box, and Buffy says, we need answers, Giles. We need to find out everything about the key. 
Dawn needs to know her origins, where she came from, why she's there. Giles wonders how Dawn got into the magic box, just as Anya exclaims about someone using an urn as an ashtray. So we are near the midpoint of the whole episode, and this is where I would look for that major reversal for Buffy or major commitment. Here we don't have just one, we have a string of them in a row. The first is Dawn finding out she's the key, even though Buffy is not aware of it. And then Dawn cutting herself is another major reversal for Buffy, as well as Dawn, because Buffy is supposed to protect Dawn and because Dawn is her sister. And then Dawn refusing to talk and screaming at Buffy. And in the next scene, we will get another major reversal when Spike blames Buffy at 21 minutes, four seconds in, so almost exactly halfway through, Buffy goes to Spike's crypt, shoves the heavy concrete top of the sepulcher he sleeps on top of against him, trapping him in it, very angry, and she says, how could you let her find out like that? From books and papers, you hate me that much? Spike protests, rightly so, that he was just along for the ride. It's not like he knew Don was a mystical glowy thing. No one keeps him in the loop, do they? And tells her newsflash if kid sis wants to go take a midnight stroll she'll find a way and he thought she'd be safer with spike along but buffy is too frightened and angry to listen to reason and insists that spike could have stopped her and spike tells her she couldn't keep the truth from dawn forever and maybe if buffy had told her about the key buffy wouldn't be trying to feel better by quote playing around of kick the spike end quote buffy storms out both near tears and angry so this is a major reversal because at that moment in her gut i think she recognizes that spike is correct dawn found out from papers and books because buffy didn't tell her spike sighs after she leaves and looks down clearly unhappy that he said this to buffy so this continues a shift in spike's arc last week we saw him protect joyce and dawn because buffy asked and because she needed it and because he cares about the summer's family without asking for anything in return and now even though last week he taunted her about riley leaving and took pleasure in her feeling bad now he clearly feels terrible that he hurt her this moment also is consistent with the spike we know because we have seen before that spike is very attuned to other people's emotions to human emotion he's good at reading people i think he recognizes here that there is a difference between taunting buffy about riley and causing her to doubt herself and feel bad and the deeper emotional pain of what is happening to dawn of that bond with her sister Joyce tries to get Dawn to go to school. Dawn is on her bed, dressed but with the shades down, and Dawn refuses. Blobs of energy don't need an education. Joyce offers to make her chicken and stars soup, a great choice for if you are sick, but Dawn yells at her, I'm not sick, I'm not anything. And this is the other moment that reminded me of the Harry Potter book because Dawn, while justified, entirely here has that whiny tone that is so grating. Joyce tries to tell her to calm down. Dawn says, don't tell me what to do. You're not my mother. And she says she changed her mind and she'd rather be at school. At 23 minutes, 8 seconds in, Ben enters the psych ward with medication. Having him do this now sets up a later scene where he runs into Dawn there, which is important because otherwise it would seem strange that Ben was in the psych ward. This 
also allows us to find out that Ben knows about the Knights of Byzantium. He sees a mark on the forehead of a patient and says, Byzantium. And a minion appears behind him, adding the conflict that should be in every scene and tells him, yes, the knights have arrived and they're like ants. First you see one, then two, then the picnic's ruined. And no matter how many they kill, they'll keep coming in waves. It's time for Ben to join forces with Glory. So more exposition through minor conflict. This reminds us of what the Knight of Byzantium said to Buffy last week. And the minion has a reason for saying it, to try to persuade Ben to join forces with Glory. But the knights don't intimidate Ben, and he says, what can Glory do to him? Send six packs of minions to bore him to death? She can't lay a finger on Ben, and she knows it. Back to Dawn, she's reading through her old journals, many of which she now knows she didn't write. At 24 minutes, 47 seconds in, Joyce downstairs with Buffy worries about Dawn. Buffy says Dawn needs time. They can't force her to be okay with this. But Joyce doesn't think waiting is a good solution. You can't just leave her alone. Buffy argues if it were her, she'd want time to herself, not her mother and sister, quote, coming at me from all sides, end quote. And if this were Buffy, that might very well be what she would truly want. This is a great example of genuine conflict between people who care about one another, because while it might be what Buffy wants, it isn't necessarily what Don wants or needs, and it is in character for Joyce to take a different position about that. Dawn appears at the top of the stairs, pausing where they can't see her, just as Joyce tells Buffy that the school called. Dawn got suspended, and Joyce is shocked because Dawn never used language like that, whatever it was that got her suspended, before. Buffy now says Dawn will say or do anything right now. And here's the part of conflict that does not feel genuine to me because Buffy says she's not real. We're not her family. We don't even know what she is. And of course, that is the small part that Dawn hears. And we've seen this before in Buffy where a character hears a tiny part of something and takes off not knowing the context. Buffy overheard Joyce and Pat in season three talking in the kitchen when Joyce said it was almost easier when Buffy was gone. Dawn in the beginning of this season heard Buffy ranting about their turning her into a little idiot after she invited Harmony into the house. And now she hears this. So one, eavesdropping, never a good idea in the Buffyverse and probably in life. So perhaps that is the point the writers are making throughout. What feels artificial here is when Buffy tries to give context for this statement. But for now, Dawn, devastated, runs into her room, slams the door. She tears posters off her walls knocks books and other things off her shelves, tears out the pages of her journal and throws them in the trash can. Downstairs, Joyce and Buffy apparently don't hear any of this, and Joyce asks Buffy how she can say these things. Now we get the supposed justification for Buffy's words. She says, I'm not, I'm just saying that's probably how she feels. I mean, maybe that is what Buffy thinks, but I I don't quite buy that. Joyce says they need to show Dawn she's part of the family and they love her, but Buffy points out it's not that simple. They can't fix this with a hug and a kiss and a bowl of soup. Dawn needs to know where she came from. She needs answers, but Joyce argues Dawn needs her sister, not the Slayer, and Buffy responds that the Slayer is the only one standing between Dawn and Glory. That is true, but I'm not sure Buffy would be that clueless about Dawn's emotional state right now. 
The line, though, is a nice lead-in to a high-pitched alarm shrieking. Buffy jumps to her feet, thinking that it's Glory, that Willow's alarm is going off. Upstairs, though, they see a fire in the trash can where Dawn burned her journal pages. Buffy starts yelling at Dawn, not realizing Dawn isn't in the room as she puts out the fire and says Dawn could have burned the house down. This feels authentic to me. Again, it's like the child who almost gets hit by a car and the parent grabs the kid and yells at them because of their adrenaline rush and fear. Joyce sees the open window and points out that Dawn is gone. So once again, Dawn has run off to put herself in danger, which is certainly in character for her. This is one of the rare times that I don't find it annoying because Dawn is so upset that I buy that she doesn't care about the danger to herself. At 27 minutes, 16 seconds in, Buffy tells her friends and Spike what happened, including that Dawn burned her diaries, and Willow says she's been keeping those since... I mean, and she breaks off, realizing that memory, too, was implanted by the monks. And Buffy responds, since she was seven, I remember, too, Willow. Buffy needs to find Dawn fast before Glory or the, quote, Knights of Hackenslash, end quote, figure out who she is. She assigns the team different places in the town to check. At 28 minutes, 11 seconds, Dawn wanders through the park in the darkness. We get a quick flashback to Buffy pushing her on a swing on a bright, sunny day. Giles and Xander are looking through alleys in the center of town. Xander talks about all the things he remembers about hanging out with Dawn, including listening to Buffy complain about her a lot. And how can that all have not happened? He also talks about how Dawn must have been super powerful when she was the key and adds that Dawn has kind of a crush on him. And isn't it cool that this powerful being is so into Xander? Giles, disgusted, stomps off. At 29 minutes, 18 seconds in, Buffy calls for Dawn over and over in the park. Spike, who is with her, points out that perhaps yelling for Dawn might send her little sister running in the other direction. Buffy tells him he's right. It is Buffy's fault. She should have told Dawn. But Spike now tries to reassure her, saying that Dawn likely would have skipped off anyway, even if she never found out that she's a teenager and they are raging balls of hormones. Buffy looks at him very sad and he says, you'll find her just in the nick of time. That's what you hero types do. You'll find her. And Buffy says, and then what? Dawn, walking alone, hears a siren and sees an ambulance, which gives her an idea. In a moment, we'll find out that Buffy is not entirely wrong about what Dawn needs because Dawn does want to know about her origin in the hospital. At 30 minutes, 27 seconds in, she heads for the psych ward. This is the last major plot turn in the episode, the three-quarter turn. It grows out of the midpoint, whether that's a reversal or a commitment, and takes the story in yet another new direction and sometimes raises the stakes. And that growing out of the midpoint aspect is really important. This should not be something that comes from outside the protagonist and just randomly sends the story somewhere else. And here, the patients start saying things like, it's here, it's here, what's the frequency, it's empty. Dawn asks one if he sees her, she says, tell me, what am I? The knight answers, the key, I found it, the key, thank you, thank you. He keeps saying thank you, and Dawn asks, who made her, what is she, and where did she come from? As she approaches him, he grabs her arm, calls her a destroyer, and then starts whispering the words of that chant about the key being the link that must be severed. I definitely see this as the three-quarter turn for Dawn. It comes out of her reversal in finding that she is the key and spins the story to where she runs into Ben, which puts her, as we'll find out, in much greater danger. (laughs) 
to learn more about the plot and story structure I talk about in the podcast, check out my audiobooks, Super Simple Story Structure, or The One-Year Novelist, a week-by-week guide to writing your novel in one year. These are by my clever nonfiction name, L.M. Lily, for Lisa M. Lily, and you can get them wherever you buy audiobooks or ask your librarian to order them for you. Both books also come in paperback or ebook editions, and I am working on releasing large print versions as well. You can also check out my course, How to Plot Your Novel, From Idea to Finished Draft. Links in the show notes, or you can find out more at writingasasecondcareer.com slash your hyphen novel. At 32 minutes, 16 seconds in, Dawn runs out of the ward as Ben passes by. The scene cuts to the two of them in the break room. He brings her hot chocolate, asks if her mom's back in the hospital, and she says no. So this could be the three-quarter turn for the main plot as well. However, there is another bigger moment, which is that Ben turns into glory that creates an even more dramatic shift. So note that as in Checkpoint, it's not that easy to pinpoint an exact moment for a couple of these turns, but the difference is it doesn't throw off the feel of the story because It is a choice among a couple very strong moments that make major changes versus not being able to pinpoint a significant major change, which was even more the case in Triangle. Here, whatever you see as the last major plot turn, we have a major shift in the story that came from those midpoint reversals of Dawn learning she's the key and trying to hurt herself and Buffy failing in her duty to protect Dawn. Ben now asks Dawn if he can call her sister. Dawn says, I don't have a sister. Ben guesses they had a fight, tells Dawn he has a sister too, apparently referring to Glory, and that lots of times he wishes she didn't exist either. And Dawn says, it's not Buffy, it's me. I'm the one that doesn't exist. Ben becomes alarmed as Dawn, who is very upset, tells him that she's not real. She's just a thing the monks made so Glory couldn't find her. At 33 minutes, 33 seconds in, Ben stands and backs away and says, you're the key. So this I see as the major plot turn in the main plot. This comes out of Buffy's failure to tell Dawn that she is the key, which would have given her time to explain more to Dawn about the dangers, perhaps impress upon Dawn that she should not talk about this to anybody. But Dawn is so upset, she talks without thinking, and now this will completely turn the story in a second when Ben turns into glory. Dawn now says, how do you know about the key? He tells her to go. She's what Glory's searching for, and she needs to run because Glory will find Dawn and hurt her. Of course, now Dawn doesn't run. She just keeps asking questions as Ben gets more agitated and says, oh no, oh God, she's coming. And at 33 minutes, 57 seconds in, Ben says she's here, and Glory, he has turned into Glory, says, she's here and their voices overlap and then glory who is now gripping dawn says hey don't i know you and we cut to a commercial glory complains about the cotton fabric as she changes from ben's hospital scrubs into a bright red dress and dawn says you're you're ben glory tells her it's a little more complicated than that family always is. She wants to know what the Slayer's little sister is doing with Ben. Dawn's surprise Glory doesn't remember, and Glory says you were talking to him, not 
me. This is a great wrinkle in the glory mythology that keeps the tension high, and it explains in a genuine way why we as the audience couldn't have known sooner that Ben and Glory were in the same body, and why Glory didn't know how to find Buffy or anything else that Ben was up to and had to communicate through her minions. A guard comes in and starts to tell Glory she can't be there in the break room. With one hand, Glory reaches behind her and breaks the guard's neck, shocking Dawn. And Glory says, rude, I was talking. She tells Dawn they need to go somewhere alone and talk. And this moment was huge for Dawn because as scared as she was of Glory, she did not grasp before how powerful and how dangerous Glory is, though Buffy tried to tell her. At 35 minutes, 28 seconds in, Buffy and her friends meet in the park. None of them found any sign of Dawn. Buffy says they should head to the hospital, that something else other than Glory could have happened to Dawn. We cut back to Glory, who tells Dawn that Buffy has her key. She wants it. Does Dawn know where it is? And Glory says, there's ice cream and puppy dogs in it for you if you start singing. Dawn is pretty smart here. She tries to get information from Glory by saying she's not sure what does the key look like. Glory looks rapturous as she describes it as a bright green swirly shimmer last time she saw it. But now because of the monks, it could look like anything. Dawn says if she knew more about the key, maybe she'd know if she'd seen it. Glory steps closer, her face an inch from Dawn's, and she almost snarls, puts her hands on the counter on either side of Dawn, who is backed up against it, as if she is angry, and Dawn flinches, but Glory says, okay. At 36 minutes, 56 seconds in, the gang is at the hospital. Buffy overhears two guys talking about someone whose head was almost torn off in the break room. At 37 minutes, 17 seconds in, Dawn asks Glory if the key has existed for a long time. Glory tells her just this side of forever. Dawn wants to know if the key is evil, and Glory immediately tells her totally, but then says, no, not really. It depends on your point of view. Dawn guesses the key must open something and asks what. At 37 minutes, 56 seconds in, Glory starts feeling suspicious. She smells a fox in her hen house and thinks Ben put Dawn up to this. And she says, you know what I'm starting to think? I'm thinking that maybe you, and we think she's going to say, are the key, but she says, don't have any idea where my key is. Dawn is petrified as Glory turns away and starts rambling. Now Dawn asks what's wrong with her. So we as the audience know it's been too long since she has gotten anyone else's brain energy. Glory rubs her head and then says this doesn't need to be a complete waste. She's been meaning to send the Slayer a message and can use a little pick-me-up. Her expression changes. She looks happy and turns back to Dawn. She can kill two birds with one stone. She claps her hands and says, then she'll get yummy dead birds. Later, Willow and Tara will clap their hands when they do a spell. This is a small moment, Glory's clap, that creates more symmetry here between Glory's side and Buffy's side and signals that Willow is growing more and more powerful. Now we are at the climax. This is where the opposing forces have their final confrontation. In this episode, Buffy and Glory, the protagonist and antagonist, have not met face to face until now. We saw that in Listening to Fear, the episode with the demon from outer space. There it robbed the story of some momentum. Here in contrast, there is so much conflict over Dawn finding the key. Conflict that is Dawn's subplot dealing with it and conflict that is part of the main plot for Buffy protecting Dawn, protecting the key. All the emotional issues that go with that, that interweave with her 
feelings about Dawn as her sister. So there is so much there that the story stays gripping and keeps moving, even though these two are only going to come face to face now at 39 minutes, one second in. Buffy says, get away from my sister as she storms into the room. Buffy and Glory trade blows. Spike grabs Glory briefly, but she gets away and throws him across the room, which knocks him out. Xander has a tire iron, Giles a crossbow, and Willow and Tara chant quietly over to the side, holding a cloth bag. Glory taunts Buffy about how easy it was to knock her boyfriend out, and Buffy says he is not my boyfriend. Glory compliments Buffy's shoes as she grabs her foot and flips her over, but Buffy lands and kicks Glory in the face. She then jumps out of the way and says, Giles, now. Giles fires the crossbow at Glory. The arrow hits and bounces off. Xander hits Glory in the head from behind with a tire iron. Glory just grabs it from him, complains about him messing up her hair, and throws Xander across the room. Glory flings the tire iron at Dawn. Buffy dives in front of it and gets impaled, but she pulls the tire iron out of herself, still between Dawn and Glory as Glory rants. Willow and Tara are still chanting. Now they're on either side of Glory, and this was set up so well earlier when Glory started rambling to Dawn, so we know she is a bit weakened, explaining why she's a little disjointed here, why she doesn't just lunge for Dawn at this moment, and why she is somewhat vulnerable when Willow and Tara throw sparkly dust over her. She yells at them about ruining her dress, but they clap their hands at the same time and say, Descade, and Glory disappears. At 40 minutes, 26 seconds in, the falling action starts. This is the part of any story where it ties up loose ends, resolves subplots, and sometimes moves the season arc. Willow falls to the floor and Tara runs to her. Buffy is still holding Dawn and she asks what Willow and Tara did. So we also get some explanation sometimes in the falling action if something is not clear. And Willow tells them they did a teleportation spell, though she has no idea where it sent Glory. The scene cuts to a starry night. Glory appears among the stars and starts to swear, then streaks straight down toward Earth. Back at the hospital, Giles comments that that was a very dangerous spell for someone at Willow's level. A nice callback to Checkpoint when the Watchers asked Willow and Tara what level they were with their magic. Buffy asks Dawn if she's hurt, and Dawn is surprised that Buffy cares. So we are now resolving Dawn's subplot about dealing with being the key and also the emotional aspect of the main plot. So in a way, this is part of the climax of that emotional part of the main plot because Buffy says she loves Dawn, Dawn is her sister, and Dawn insists, no, I'm not. Buffy tells her she is. She presses her hand to her shoulder where she's bleeding and clasps Dawn's hand, which also has blood on it, and says it's Summer's blood. And Buffy says, it's just like mine. It doesn't matter where you came from or how you got here. You are my sister. There's no way you could annoy me so much if you weren't. Dawn's face crumples and she and Buffy hug and Dawn says, I'm so scared. And Buffy says, me too. And they get up together. As they're leaving, Dawn tells Buffy that Ben was there trying to help and he must have left before Glory came, but she is confused about it. Buffy says next time they see him, they can thank him. This is a wonderful story question for the audience. So story questions, sometimes called open loops, are part of what keep the audience watching. And in this season, we had very strong story questions about how Ben and Glory connect and when Dawn will find out she is the key. Viewers keep tuning in partly to find those things out. And now those questions have been answered, but the writers immediately replace them with other story questions. First is, why does Dawn not remember what happened with Glory and Ben? 
Also, when will the gang find out about that? And then we still have the ongoing unanswered question of when will Glory figure out that Dawn is the key? And there's a more minor question about what role the Knights of Byzantium will play. Buffy tells Dawn they need to get home. Mom's freaking out. Dawn asks if their mother is mad about the whole fire thing, and Buffy tells her she sort of has a get-out-of-jail-free card on account of big love and trauma. Dawn says, think she'd raise my allowance? And Buffy says, don't push it. They leave holding hands, and we go to credits. That is it, other than foreshadowing, which includes spoilers. If you found the story structure I talk about here helpful and want to apply it to your own writing, you can download free story structure worksheets at writingasasecondcareer.com slash story. If you don't want to hear spoilers and so are not staying for foreshadowing, thank you so much for listening. Come back in two weeks for Season 5, Episode 14, Crush, where Drusilla returns to Sunnydale. And we are back with foreshadowing, which includes spoilers. First, Spike and the Troll hammer. This reminds us that the hammer that Olaf left in Triangle is extremely heavy. Spike can't even lift it. And that comedic moment sets up Buffy using the hammer in the finale to hit glory. Xander's comments about Don having a crush on him foreshadows next time Buffy will realize that Dawn has a bit of a crush on Spike, and Xander will be a bit upset by that, which adds some minor conflict as she is talking to Xander and keeps us engaged with that, though she is telling him a bit of what we have already seen happen between her, Dawn, and Spike. We also get Buffy's he is not my boyfriend after Glory refers to him that way, which is a really nice way of setting up next week when Spike reveals his feelings to Buffy and suggests that though Buffy denies it, that chemistry between her and Spike is there and Glory can see it because she doesn't think, for instance, that Xander is Buffy's boyfriend. A fun foreshadowing is when Buffy talks about the get out of jail free card for Dawn on account of big love and trauma. Next week, she will ask Giles, should they be going easy on Dawn? And he tells her it's better to act as if everything is normal. Buffy then immediately yells at Dawn for losing her blue sweater. And it turns out Dawn didn't lose it. Spike stole it to put on his Buffy mannequin. I love that even that is foreshadowed by this episode. And this is why I say I'm in awe of how much it does. You wouldn't even notice if that was not foreshadowed here, but you both add a little humor to the end of this episode and a tiny signal there about this ongoing question of how do we treat Dawn that leads into Buffy accusing Dawn and then finding that blue sweater on the Buffy mannequin. There also is foreshadowing of how the key will work and what Glory is trying to do because Giles and Anya talk about these thousands of demon dimensions and Giles says they're all pushing on our dimension trying to find a way in and we'll learn the key opens that up so that glory can cross between dimensions which at first seems hey no problem we'll get rid of glory but it means that those dimensions can invade this reality tara's heartbreaking line she she's a brain sucker and also that at least vampires only kill you tells us about tara's worst fear more than being killed is how having something happening inside her brain. And this, of course, is what Glory will do to her. So Glory attacks the one person who specifically expressed this fear. It would be horrible and terrible for 
anyone, but this adds to how awful it is for Tara and how devastated Willow is. And again, how Buffy cannot protect her friends from glory. And then we have this scene about Summer's blood. And Buffy talks about Dawn's blood being just like hers and will later say either in the finale or the episode right before that the monks made Dawn out of her. Now both these things are not ones that we learned from Checkpoint or from anything Giles has told us or from the journals. That could be for the same reason we don't see Buffy tell the others about Dawn, an attempt to make it more powerful, but that falters for me. I wish that we had learned that from Giles' research or the Watcher's research, because here it is the one thing that feels a bit off to me when Buffy says this because we don't know that their blood is the same. One of Dawn's big questions is what is she? Is she real? Is she a person? And Buffy just gives her this answer at least about her blood and them being blood related, but it seems to be pulled out of nowhere. And similarly, when Buffy says the monks made her out of me in the finale, it feels like the writers retconning something, like they didn't know how to deal with this and how to set this up. So they threw this in at the last second. Now, my guess, there's so much else in the season that supports that finale and what happens there. They clearly knew what they were heading toward. So my best guess is perhaps there was some moment or two where Giles did tell us these things, or it might have even been part of Dawn reading the journal, but that it may have gotten cut for time. This blood comment, though, and then sharing their blood, clasping their hands together, like taking a blood oath, like being blood sisters, does foreshadow that Buffy can take Dawn's place, that Buffy's blood can close the portal to the other universe. That is it for foreshadowing and spoilers. Thank you again for listening. Come back in two weeks for season five, episode 14, Crush, where Spike tells Buffy about his feelings. We see Harmony again and Drusilla returns to Sunnydale. You can listen to back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Story or lisalilly.com slash YouTube. You can also comment on the episodes, share them, or connect with me on Instagram or Twitter at Lisa M. Lilly. That's L-I-S-A-M is in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y, or by visiting the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page. And you can find book editions of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com slash Buffy Books. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2022. All rights reserved.